Welcome to the Living Ageless and Bold podcast. I'm your host, Christina Daves, and in each episode, I bring you amazing women who inspire, educate, and share their experiences and journeys along the way. So grab a glass of wine or a cup of coffee, find a cozy spot, and let's relax and have some fun hearing what can be accomplished after 55. Hey, everybody. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited about today's episode. I know I say this all the time, but I keep getting these amazing people who've come into my life and today is no different. Lisa Niver is with us and she is going to share her journey and her story. And I'm going to tease you a little bit that she went from medical school to being a preschool teacher to now being one of the top travel influencers, bloggers in the world. She has just written an amazing book called Brave-ish, One Breakup, Six Continents, and Feeling Fearless After 50. And I devoured the book yesterday, and we're going to talk all about it. So Lisa, I'm so glad you're here with us. Oh my goodness. I love your enthusiasm, and I'm so honored to be here on your show. Thank you for including me. Thank you so much. Oh, so I told you. I said I was going to you know, skim through the book, so I have some good questions today. I devoured the book. You guys, it's awesome. <laughs> oh, Christina, that makes me so happy. Thank you. No, it was so good. Like you're Obviously, you're a writer. You're a great storyteller. But I always, you know, I bring these women on. You're my age. You're 55. So you've had a journey. So I want to go back to, you know, you were going to go to medical school. You're every parent's dream daughter. You go to UPenn. <laughs> Let's talk about how it all started. Okay. Thank you. Yes. So in the beginning, <laughs> as all good stories start, I did go to the University of Pennsylvania. And in fact, I'm on the reunion committee. It's my 35th reunion oh. coming up. <laughs> Yeah, not just yesterday. And I did apply to medical school. I did get into medical school. I did go to UCSF in San Francisco. At the time, I think it was rated a top five school. And now I think it's a top three school. And so I did work very hard to get in. And then I arrived in San Francisco where I loved living. And I always love to tell people when I lived in San Francisco, we had a two bedroom near Golden Gate Park. And I found a receipt not that long ago, we paid $1,200 a month. So I paid $600. Oh my gosh. That's how you know I lived there a really long time ago in the dark ages. It was a lot of money back then. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. It, it was. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still in touch with my roommate from medical school. And I just spoke to her a couple of days ago. I did start. The people were amazing. The school's fantastic. It's an incredible tertiary care center, but it wasn't the right place for me. But, so, but you went and you started out medical school. You figured this out. How do you get to preschool, being a preschool teacher? There's kind of medical school, preschool. So I can't, I couldn't make the connection. Okay. So there were a lot of edits with the books and some stories fell out, but that's a good one. So what happened was my first apartment in San Francisco, I literally lived on fourth and I walked barely a block. I walked up the hill and I turned left. And as I turned to walk into medical school, as I was walking down the street on my right was class and on my left was the preschool it was where the doctor's kids went and the medical students kids went. it was the local UCSF preschool and they were out on the yard 
and they were blowing bubbles and they were singing songs and they were on the jungle gym and I would hear them. They seemed so happy and I would walk into school. We went to class nine to five and Mondays and Fridays we did uh, gross anatomy lab from two to five and we'd walk out and we'd walk out and the kids were still in the yard playing and singing. And at some point over the course of time, I went into the I went into the preschool and I talked to the director and I said, I love kids. I'm a camp counselor. This place looks awesome. And she said, well, Lisa, if you had time, you're welcome to volunteer here. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. So I walked to the one block home and I kept thinking about it. I was like, do I have time? I go to school all day long. I study all night. On the weekends, I study. I don't have time to play in the yard. And when I started thinking that I was in the wrong place, And I was trying to imagine what could I do. I just kept thinking about those kids. And I was like, I want to be in the yard. I want to sing songs. (laughs) And so when I left school, which was quite a process, I went on leave for a year first. They told me to think about my choices, which was a very kind offer. And I worked at the preschool and I worked at Planned Parenthood. And I was thinking about... With Planned Parenthood, I was able to be front of you know front of house, back of house, doing lab work, talking to paid clients and medical things, and I was you know very interested in women's issues and and I went to Planned Parenthood and I went to preschool and I started doing ceramics and I just had all these pieces in my life. What a perfect mix! <laughs> I was just trying to figure out like what made me happy and what what was I interested in. I was very good at science. I was excellent at school. But that's not always where your soul is. So so you were the preschool teacher. And then I loved reading about your seven years as, you guys, I can't make this up. I didn't even know this was a thing. Lisa went on to be basically like a camp counselor at club meds all over the world. Was it club med or one of the big resorts? Yeah, I worked for Club Med. You're right. I worked for Club Med in Colorado and then in the Bahamas. And then I worked on cruise ships for many years. Oh, my God. Okay. So the stories in the book about that are hysterical. They are great. I don't know. Maybe give us the PG version. There's a lot of fun going on those cruises. Okay. So one of my favorite Club Med stories was at Club Med, everybody had a roommate. And there was definitely a lot of activities that weren't on the calendar. That's why we used to call it club bed. Club bed. (laughs) I love it. And so one, when I was still very new, I worked in the ski village and one of the instructors and I were looking for a place to, I guess what they say now is Netflix and chill, but we didn't have Netflix at the time because it was in the dark ages. Anyway, so we ended up making out in the laundry room. And, you know, at the time I wasn't very savvy to this kind of group living anyway. So I made out with him. He was really fun. I had a great time. And the next day at lunch at Club Med, we used to take the kids skiing with an instructor. I was the kids club instructor. At lunch, we ate with them. So I'm eating my lunch and a ski instructor that I don't know because I was pretty new in the village stops by and puts a quarter next to my lunch plate. And I look at him and he looks at me and he says, in case you want to go for a spin later. And that was when I realized that when you did something at Club Med, we used to say you could do something alone in a locked room and in an hour, everyone knew. 
So in fact, I had been with one of the ski instructors the night before and apparently everyone knew. So for the rest of the season, my nickname was Spin. Oh my gosh, that's hysterical. <laughs> it was really cute. <laughs> but how fun to do that in the Caribbean and... I mean, did you love it? Seven years. And how you're in your 20s at that point? I was actually not in my 20s. I was in my 30s. But the okay. even better, I when I worked on the cruise ship, I kept saying I was going one contract. And I would write the office and I was like, thanks so much. I had a great time in the Caribbean, but I don't think, I think I'm done here. And they're like, well, you haven't been to Alaska. How about a summer in Alaska? And I'm like, all right, one more. I'll go to Alaska. And then I would write, thanks so much. I'm having a great time, but I don't think I'm coming back. Like, well... Would you think about going for a summer in the Baltic? I was like, well, that does sound good. I would, <laughs> I'm interested in that. I want to go to see the mermaid in Copenhagen and I want to see the palaces and all right, one more. And, you know, then I went to Estonia, Tallinn, Estonia, which is the kindest, most incredible people. And then you're like, oh, okay, maybe I'll do one more. And then I would write to them. I'm like, hey, what do you think? I'm kind of interested to go to Australia. I'm like, ah, we don't think you should go to Australia. Would you consider going to Asia? How about the, or the South Pacific? And I was like, all right, I'll go. So that starts your travel bug and that, you know, you're really getting into travel. And then, again, I read the book. It's all of the book. I don't want to give everything away in the book, but... You met who was to become your husband. And I would say at that point, your life shifted a little bit because a lot of things happened during that. So let's talk about, because so many people listening and watching have been in relationships like that. I was reading that and I was like, oh my God, that's a guy I almost married. Like it was just, I think we all, you know, try not to see things that are happening. You want to be so in love with that person. And you went through a very difficult journey with that. Yes, I'm glad yours wasn't almost married. Yes, marrying someone who has a very difficult, challenging, inappropriate, dangerous personality does not make for a great life. You can get a traditionally published book deal with that, but it's not really. I mean, given the choice, I would definitely have skipped that chapter. But one of the things I often say about him is that when we were together, we were both on his team fully 100%. And that at some point you, I had to take account that neither he nor I were on my team, that I was constantly worrying what was going to upset him, which you could never know, and what would set him off, which you could never know. And at some point, you know, like you said, a lot of people are in relationships with someone who is extraordinarily disrespectful and dangerous, and that is not good. And it did take time to realize it and, and get out of it. And like I said, that was something that I sat with a lot in therapy about how come neither of us were on my team. My side of the street was very empty. And look how fun you are. And so, but but we do that, you know, you find... That person, but talk a little bit and not to go too far into it, but I mean, you all had did some cool stuff. Like you took off and went traveling for long periods of time where it was just the two of you in new experiences in new countries, good and bad, you know, that gave you that love of travel and adventure, but not good in that you didn't have a sport system with you. Correct. I think the fact that I was extraordinarily isolated wasn't great. One of the things that happened is my 
husband was in the Peace Corps. <laughs> so I have not heard that before. I'm sorry. For those of you watching on YouTube, I'm actually laughing because I never heard husband. Fantastic. And so before we met, he was in the Peace Corps and I worked for Princess Cruises. So we had very different travel styles. So I learned a lot from his style. I learned a lot about hostels and the Lonely Planet and the Backpacker Trail. And I saw things that I never would have seen. When we were in India, we were in India for three months and we were on the public bus almost the entire time. And I'm not saying I really recommend a 24-hour bus journey in India, but I can do it. And you can see things you might miss traveling in a speedier manner. Like one time we were on the train and we sat next to this family and this lovely, kind woman was talking to me about, did I ever wear a sari? Which I hadn't. And she said, come to my work tomorrow. And she gave me a sari and we tried so hard to pay her because it, 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 but it was, you know, there's a lot of culture of hospitality in Asia and people were incredibly kind to us, inviting us to weddings, the one with the sorry. Anyway, we were staying at the YMCA and cause that was the hostel in town. And I tried to put the sorry on and the women that worked at the YMCA didn't speak English. And I came out of the room wearing the sari and Honestly, these kind, sweet three women literally burst out laughing because apparently I had done a horrific job because there's, I don't know if you've ever tried to wear, sorry, there's yards and yards of fabric. And so the three of them shooed him away and took me back in the room and they're literally, un they have pins in there, sorry, and they're unpinning theirs pinning me up and turning me around. It was like, you know, the Barbie movies out now, that's all you could think of is like dressing your dressy Betsy or your Barbie. And in the end, I looked great. My, my ex told me I looked like an Indian princess. It was really sweet. And it was such an amazing series of events of people being so generous and kind to us. Amazing. But in the back room, there were things happening with your, your husband. Oh yeah. Right. There were moments when I was an Indian princess and there were moments where I was a piece of crap to him. So yeah not it was definitely a lot of highs and lows and you know the apologies and like oh you know that you made me so angry or this is and you know there was a lot of blaming and again we were really far away right and back then it wasn't you didn't have the accessibility to phones probably cell phones as you know as readily as you do now but so you made a difficult decision and you did come home and but then you found yourself Right. So, I mean, I loved reading about your trip to Puerto Rico and it was so funny because we just went to a wedding in Ponce. So I knew as you were writing about that, I knew exactly where you were. But I, as hard as that was, I mean, look at you now. Thank you. You know, it's really interesting. I think a lot about this with place memory. So a lot of people, they break up in a relationship and they're like, oh my gosh, am I going to run into my ex? Can I go to that favorite restaurant again? And I don't have that as much as I show up in a destination like Puerto Rico, where I was very recently. And I think, oh, remember that time my husband and I went on the Caribbean cruise out of Puerto Rico? And remember that time I came to Puerto Rico and I filmed that Orbit series and I decided I'm changing my name back 
And then just recently I was there recording my podcast and I was staying at the Ritz Carlton Dorado Beach. It's a Ritz Carlton Reserve. It might be the nicest place I've ever been in my life. Ever? Sounds like it. Oh my God. It's so nice. Everyone should have that on their bucket list. And I have a new bucket list. If you're listening, Ritz Carlton, I'm available. I would like to go to all the Ritz Carlton reserves. There's only five. I've already been to one. I knew the woman who used to be in charge of all the Marriott luxury properties. And her job was basically to go there and just make sure things were at the Marriott standard. You know, like, like, how do you get that job? Yes, you and I need that job. Yes, I'd be happy to be your travel companion. I love this idea. But yes, Puerto Rico was in the book talking about like this big moment of like, what am I doing with my life? Like, you know, like I was separated. Was I getting divorced? Was I going back? Was I keeping my name? And it was really, I was making it work all day long. We were filming and then all night long, I was crying myself to sleep. But you made it out the other side, which is just, but I love for people to hear that because we've all been in a situation, whether it's this or something else, that there is another side. And like I said, look how it is now. And I want to talk about your 50 before you're 50, because I'm sure that had a lot to help with your healing. Yes, absolutely. So I came back to America. I'd been traveling in Asia for a year and a half. I came back. I My condo was rented out. My car was sold. I'd quit my job. It was pretty loose here. And I was doing every kind of therapy that I could find. And some of them were quite a range. Anyway, I had a therapist who was talking to me about my eyes. I had said there was something wrong with my eyes. I had been diagnosed in my early 40s, and this was now my late 40s. And she said, well, what if you could do something about it? I'm like, there's nothing. She said, well, what if there is? And so I met this incredible eye doctor that she recommended here in Los Angeles, Dr. Alan Brodney. He's in the book. You should go see him. He's awesome. By the way, a little shout out for Dr. Alan Brodney. But anyway, as part of this vision therapy I did for a year, at some point, Dr. Brodney said to me, you know, you're doing so much better. I'm so proud of you. You need to go out and challenge yourself. I was like, no, I'm not interested in that in the slightest. No. And he was like, you've done everything else I've asked. <laughs> you know. And so I started thinking about it. In the end, like you said, I did these 50 challenges that are in the book. They're my challenges. And you know, that was one of the questions when you start thinking about a book, people are like, are these, is this a self-help book? Every woman should do these things before you get to 50. And I spoke with Patricia Schultz, who's been an incredible mentor to me, who has the book, of course, A Thousand Places to See Before You Die. And we were like, no, mine's not prescriptive, but everyone can have their own list. And I think Speaking to what you were saying, you know, some people have been in a relationship that's challenging. Some people are in a job that they don't like anymore. Some people have, sadly, during the COVID coaster, a lot of people lost family members and are rethinking, like, what am I doing? Like, is this the job I want? Is this the place I want to live? And the challenges for me, I never anticipated it would have the impact for me that it did. Like, I was just doing each kind of cool new thing that I found. So of all of those, what were your top three, your favorites? Well, (laughs) I did a lot of things that I never imagined I could do. (laughs) I went on the Olympic bobsled in Park City. 
And literally, as I was driving there, I was quitting. Like a lot of the things that happened, the whole backstory of basically every single thing was, nope, I changed my mind. I'm quitting. I forget it. It's too hard. It's too challenging. It's not right for me. And I'm literally getting dropped off in an Uber at the Olympic Park in Park City. I had been skiing all day with the National Ability Center. I skied with a woman who's blind. I skied with a wounded warrior in her wheelchair. And they're an incredible organization, the National Ability Center. And my Uber driver was a veteran. And he says to me, I got a lot of tough love from my military driver. Like, Wait a second. You skied with someone blind and you're not willing to sit behind a professional driver on a tourist attraction for under a minute and do the bobsled? And I said, well... Thanks for shaming me into going. Yes. <laughs> when you put it like that, I'm going now. <laughs> so I think one of the things that, that comes up over and over again in my life in the book is perspective. You know, I didn't have great perspective on my relationship. I didn't see myself as someone. Uh, I never thought I was brave. I never thought I could, you know, of course, it's not, they're not going to have a tourist attraction that's a terrible harming people. That's a terrible tourist attraction. So we haven't read about a lot of deaths with the professional taking you down the bobsled. So there was a lot of that kind of figuring out what made sense. I always say that the most challenging one on my list was going mountain biking at North Star Lake Tahoe. I'd had a a serious childhood bike accident related to my eyes. And we didn't see the pattern of all of the accidents. I always just thought I was clumsy. But in fact, I wasn't. I wasn't clumsy. I didn't see quite right. So, And they found that out in your 40s, right? I had first been diagnosed in my early 40s. They knew when I was little, I wore glasses and they knew they couldn't get me to see 2020, but I never had an accurate diagnosis and there was never an opportunity what to do. And even now I've been reading a lot more about eye issues and kids, and it can be very challenging to diagnose children, especially girls. High achieving girls rarely complain. And so you know, what do you, what do you, where are you supposed to take me to the doctor? I had straight A's. I, I read, I wasn't an athlete. And, you know, in the seventies growing up, everybody wasn't supposed to be the best athlete, you know, now with it's different. But one of the things I've read a lot about is they say, you know, ADHD and AD medication doesn't seem to help all the kids. Well, that's because some of the kids just have a vision problem. So that medicine doesn't help them. They don't get better because that's not what's wrong. I read a story about there was a young child and they thought the the child was autistic because the child didn't make eye contact. It turns out the child had double vision and didn't know where to look. And it's very challenging for kids. You know, as an adult, you've been seeing a particular way. If you begin to have double vision, you go to the doctor and you say, this isn't right. I used to see this way and now I see this way. But for a kid who's always seen one way, isn't the way the eyes are meant to work. How do you diagnose that? So appreciate the challenge. Okay. So you are now one of the top travel influencers, top three, right? Top three bloggers. Uh, Amazing. Two million views on your YouTube channel. How did you get there? Like, (laughs) you know, you got rid of the was and really, because you all had started this business together. So it was... And that's another thing we've talked about on other, you know, episodes, you, that break and moving forward, but obviously you move forward 
very successfully. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So the website that was started in 2010 is called We Said Go Travel. And we said go travel. One trip, we went to Taiwan and I had, it was the very beginning of the video for me was with a flip, a Cisco flip camera. And so for anyone that doesn't remember the Cisco flip, it only had one button. It had one red button. It turned on and off. That was all it did. There was no zoom. There was nothing. It was small. You put it in your pocket. You charged it only. It had a USB. There was no cables. It was perfect for me. Couldn't ruin it. So I took this Cisco flip to Taiwan. I shot a lot of video. I had no idea how it looked. I came back. I was teaching science at the time at a Jewish school here in Los Angeles called Browerman. I taught science kindergarten through sixth grade. I taught every kid in the school. I have no idea why in this one particular class, I taught both fifth grade sections. In fifth grade one day, I said to the kids randomly, I have all this video, but I don't know how to make a movie. A little girl named Hannah, who's now studying neurobiology at USC, she called me to tell me she still loves science. Anyway, and I told her this story. So I didn't think she would remember. So she came up to me and she said, you know what, Miss Niver, I'm going to stay in at recess today. I'm going to teach you iMovie. So I had basically a six and a half minute lesson with a fifth grader on iMovie. And she was saying, you know, do this, don't do this. And I said, what about this? She goes, you don't need that. Don't get distracted. Focus. And she was told me what to do. Anyway, so that started me on YouTube. I started making movies with my fifth grader lesson. And I eventually took more classes than my five-minute lesson. I highly recommend I took a class at Apple on iMovie. That was phenomenal. I read some books. And then I started asking other video people for help. I went to the YouTube conference that's called VidCon. That was incredible. So at all these different conferences I was going to, I would go to the one video class. There was never many. And over time, it grew and grew. And then COVID. So during COVID, I had no travels, so I had no travel video. And I just kind of let YouTube, we said go travel YouTube, sit, you know, in timeout. And then (laughs) I didn't know what to do with it. So then during COVID was when I got my book agent. And one of the first workshops my book agent had was about TikTok. And so there were maybe 15 or 20 authors on this pan workshop. And the woman giving the workshop was like, oh, everybody needs to be on TikTok. And every single author was like, I'm too old. I'm too ugly. I don't understand. It were a lot of excuses. And the woman said, you need to do five videos a day. Day, right. For 30 days. That's why I haven't done it. Yeah. And I thought, that's so nuts. But I was at DEMA at the SCUBA conference and I agreed to do one day. So for one day, I went around the conference. I filmed some TikToks. I met people that were really smart about TikTok. I did a TikTok dance. Anyway, I didn't think I was doing a great job, but I never gave up. And I started on TikTok and then I was able to use those short form videos to reinvigorate my YouTube. Wow. And that grew you to 2 million followers. It was growing and growing. And, you know, I'm still pretty small. On TikTok, I'm at Lisa Niver all over social, Instagram, Facebook, Reels, Threads, Pinterest. I don't, there's six, seven, I don't know, I'm everywhere. But, you know, I'm small on TikTok, but it really helped my YouTube. Yeah. Wow. I just started doing that with my Instagram Reels. 
to to re because I used to do videos every Friday. I did it for three years. I'm like, okay, I don't know that I have another Friday video in me. I've given you so much, the, but the reels. It's really I have a lot of views on those little short form videos. Amazing. So so you've got the book, you've got the blog, you've got the YouTube. What else is on your horizon? Your immediate horizon. Well, I have a podcast. And I've been able to interview some incredible people in the intersection of travel, television, education, women. A recent guest I had was the ambassador from Ireland. She was phenomenal. And she was talking about the most before she was the ambassador of Ireland to the United States. She was the ambassador of Ireland to the United Nations and the Security Council. Wow. I bet she had some good stuff to talk about. It was so, so incredible. I really never spoke to an ambassador before. <laughs> and, you know, just hearing about what it's like to get your country to be part of the Security Council. She said that's a once in a generation opportunity. And she was on the Security Council and with the ambassador from the Ukraine when Russia invaded. Very cool. So the podcast is your big thing. The big thing is right now, I'm excited to tour around the United States and meet people and talk about my book. The book is the main driver and we'll see what happens. I loved speaking this year at the Travel and Adventure Show. I'll be speaking at the Women's Travel Fest. I'm excited to be out and about. Of course, I always want to go scuba diving more. Yeah. And that's and we didn't get into that and we're nearing the end, but I do want to tell the story because we did another, I did another episode and the woman learned how to swim in her forties and she now does Ironman triathlons. So, and you were kind of similar too in your fear of swimming. So, so quickly tell people that, cause I love that. Cause I will, there's no way I will ever go diving like that. I'm petrified of that. But then I'm reading, I was like, well, wow, she did this. It was so cool. Yes. Yeah, so one of my many unfortunate childhood accidents with my eyes was I had a near drowning and I didn't love to swim. I didn't love the water. And in college, my roommate was an NCAA synchronized swimmer. And so at night she would go and either lifeguard at the pool or have training and I would go to the library. And when the library closed, I would walk to the gym and pick her up and we'd walk back to the quad or wherever, you know, different places on campus we lived over the years. But one day I was like, you know, I come to the gym every day, but I never go inside. And she said, well, what would you do? Because I wasn't very athletic. And I thought, I don't really know, but maybe I don't have to be such a terrible swimmer. And we had another roommate who was also a lifeguard and they came up with this plan that they were going to reteach me to swim. And I said, well, what if I drown? Like, seriously, you think with the two of us standing there watching you, everybody else is an excellent athlete. We're going to watch them also, but we're going to be really watching you. So there were some funny moments of them teaching me to swim and over time trying to figure out what to do. When I left med school and I was at Planned Parenthood and doing art and teaching preschool, I decided to take scuba diving lessons. Amazing. And you now scuba dive all over. That's part of your travel stuff that you do. I scuba dive all over the world. It's been incredible. Amazing. Amazing. Oh, I don't want this to end, but we try to keep them to 30 minutes so, so people will listen and digest them. But I ask the guests the same two questions at the end of every episode. 
What is your greatest accomplishment since you've turned 55? Or you could say since you've turned 50. Well, clearly during COVID, to find a book agent and a publisher and finish the book, and now my book is coming out. We've talked about that. So I'll tell you one that's not obvious and not in the book. During COVID, when I was home, I have never been home in one place for so long ever. One of the things that I did was, and this is a great thing for all of your listeners to know about, I took classes at UCLA as a senior scholar. So many universities around the world offer people 65 and above the opportunity to take class. But there's two places in the United States, UCLA, and I believe it's Temple in Philadelphia, that you could be 50 and take class. So during COVID, all the classes were online. And I really believe it, that is one of the things that saved my sanity and helped my book is I took the most incredible classes. I took 10 classes. I took incredible classes, I, the geography of Los Angeles, screenwriting, and an incredible class in the psychiatry department about meditation. What a great tip. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I'm going to look into that. Maybe they still have some virtual classes. And then where do you see yourself in 10 years? Oh, wow. In 10 years when I'm 65, I've been real focused on all my great cities that I'm speaking on the next 12 months. In 10 years. Well, I hope in 10 years I'll have been to my final continent of Antarctica. That is a goal I would like. I would like my seventh continent because my book has one breakup, six continents and feeling fearless after 50. I think one of the things I would be really proud of in 10 years is if I was able to continue helping other writers and travelers share their stories. I've published a lot of other people on my website. I've had different competitions. And one of the things doing my project 50 Things Before 50 was fascinating to me when I was 49 turning 50, how many women 29 turning 30 came to me talking about they were so worried that they were going to be 30 and essentially like life was over. That we really make these numbers so hard, especially on women starting out. And I just, I will never forget sitting with a woman who was 29 turning 30 and she said, Well, I really thought since I haven't done everything I wanted to do and my life is over and I don't know what I'm going to do. She goes, but give me so much inspiration because you're not really like old and boring and you're turning 50. I was like, do I say thank you? But I appreciate the intent of that, that women need different models and that if she saw that I could be terrified of the zip line and the bobsled and scuba diving, but now I do them and I love them and I would do them again. That, that if that helped her, I'm happy to you know provide that. And that's why I did this podcast is women like us have been through so much and we're still, we're just starting our next chapters or, you know, continuing on, but we have so much more to do and to live. And how about, are we going to do a 60 before 60? <laughs> it's funny that you ask because I spoke with someone a couple of days ago and she's like, I hope you're writing things down. And I looked and I do have a list of 60 before 60. And I honestly, I could probably do 55 before 55. I have enough things on the list, but it's possible. I'm, let's see how this book goes. <laughs> As I say, so you have Bravish now that everybody needs to read. And then maybe it's Braver 
for your for the next one. Lisa, thank you so much. This was so good. Like I said, I loved your book. I hope everybody grabs it and reads it. And it's just, you tell a great story and what a fun life you've led. So thank you for joining. Oh my goodness, Christina, it has been my honor and my pleasure. And I really so appreciate that you read and as you said, devoured my book because that makes me, you know, there were all those times lying on the floor like I would write until I thought I might throw up and then I would lie on the floor and cry. And there were times when I was like, is this project worth doing? So thank you. It was worth it. It was worth it. So thank you. Thank you for listening or for watching this episode of Living Ageless and Bold. If you haven't already, please make sure you hit subscribe. And if you like the episode, I hope that you will give us a great review. You can also head over to livingagelessandbold.com and sign up for information, inspiration, and exclusive opportunities for us, women over 55. Thanks for listening. And remember, no matter what you do, keep living ageless and bold.